just as I also imitate Christ. Well, good morning. Hope everyone is doing well today. I wanted to say a quick word of thanks to our elders for something that Ken and I have been so pleased to see and have been impressed with in our two years of being here as every time we have faced some sort of uh, natural disaster in our area, it is so encouraging to see our elders uh, seeing fit to take the time to stop and to recognize these disasters, but not just to recognize, but to actually do something about it. So very appreciative to the elders, but also very appreciative uh, to all of our members here, certainly uh, for being involved and for taking up that challenge. Today it is, I know it's not technically on the calendar, I don't think we've hit spring yet, but I think it's already spring and I'll tell you why. I took the kids out for a walk the other day, and this is totally not like me, but I left the stroller out uh, under the awning overnight. Uh, Usually don't do that kind of thing, Uh, but the next day I went out to pack it up, uh, to take it over to the play place, the Newtopia with the kids, and when I went to put it in the truck, as I rolled it, this cloud, this greenish yellow cloud of pollen, as soon as I go to push it. So I don't know if the calendar says it's spring. It doesn't really matter what the calendar says. Uh, nature says that it is spring. Now, uh, this is a time of new beginnings, right? This is a time when uh, the trees are starting to grow green. Now you're starting to have to mow your lawn again, probably at this time of year. Uh, it's a time of new beginnings. It's wedding season, and several of our members, and I know a lot of our college students, are going to a wedding even this weekend, as one of our recent graduates is getting married, or was married, yesterday. Uh, And it's also graduation season. If you've got some family members and some friends who are uh, high school seniors or college seniors, uh, you're probably going to be spending a lot of time on the road, traveling around to all these different graduations. It's a time of year not only when we reflect on these new beginnings, but I think it's a time of year that we should also be reflecting on the end of things. I don't mean to sound like a downer as I say that this morning. What I mean to say is, That as some of our young folks graduate high school and they think about the new beginnings that are coming to them in college, I would encourage you guys to think about maybe the end of college and to think about what do I want my life to look like, not only in this beginning stage, but at the end of the next stage. It is a primary rule of building, and if you have done any sort of building in any capacity, you know that it's a primary rule that you pretty much need a very good idea of what you're trying to build when you begin. You don't want to be at hour number five million and to look back and say, you know, I should probably think about what it is I want to build. If all of us this morning were to be given maybe a small block of wood, we were told you've got about 15 minutes to make something out of that block of wood. I want you to make something. Those of us who would be more successful would be the ones who decided first, maybe we spend half of our time thinking, what do I want to build? Uh, Do I want to build maybe something uh, to hold my phone on my desk? Do I just want to maybe just keep it as a paperweight and do nothing to it? Do I want to maybe whittle some sort of little figurine out of it? Uh, Whatever it might be, those of us who took the time to plan ahead would probably wind up with a better finished product than if we were to take some tools and just see what happens by the end. Certainly, I think as we enter into the season of the year that is a time of new beginnings, with weddings, with graduations, we should also be thinking about the end, specifically the type of mark that we want to leave, or what things that we want to leave behind. And if you ask some of these 
high school seniors that are here this morning and some of our older college students and some who have recently graduated. If you ask them about their time in school, I imagine that they would tell you they care deeply about the impact that they have left behind. Certainly all of us, whether it's in a school or whether it's in a workplace or whether it's within our families, we are concerned about what we are going to leave behind. What type of legacy is it that we are building? And I'm going to encourage you to think about if you don't start, even if we're young, if we don't start thinking about this now, we don't want to be towards the end. You don't want to be in the last few months of your high school career and think, you know, now I need to start thinking about the type of influence I'm leaving behind. Or you don't want to start thinking in your twilight years with your family, now I should start focusing on the type of influence I'm leaving for my kids, uh, for my grandkids even. So it's something we need to think about even in the time of beginnings. All of us care about the impact that we leave behind, and I believe that most of us would like to leave behind a positive impact. It reminds me of a, one of my closest friends, and for the sake of his identity, I will not mention Drew's name this morning, uh, but he is a graduate of Freed Hardeman University, and he convinced me one year, he's my friend anyway, by the way, even though he's from Freed Hardeman, uh, he convinced me to go with him uh, to the lectures one year, and we went up and we met a former president of the school while we were there, and he's a man who remembers everybody, remembers everybody's name, and uh, there's a particular story that you need to know about my friend. Uh, there's a highway that runs through the campus almost, and that there's an overpass now that takes that highway over the campus. So the students, when they're walking across, don't have to go over this major highway. Well, that overpass has not always been there. And my friend was in school before that overpass was there. And I should preface this with saying, without injury, my friend one day was struck by a car walking across campus. Uh, and because of that, the school was forced to address the issue of this highway that runs through their campus, and now an overpass is built. So uh, the joke is constantly made at his expense that that overpass is only there because he got uh, struck by that car, again, without injury. It's okay to chuckle a little bit. So we meet this previous president at the school, and we walk up, and my friend is not expecting him to remember his name. He says, hi, my name's Drew. I'm sure you don't remember me. And he looks at him and he says, Drew, of course I remember you. And of course I'm thinking, how could you forget? I mean, this great friend of mine who is an exemplary, an exemplary Bible student, he's been preaching the gospel for longer than every single one of our teenagers and a lot of our college students have been alive. He's a great example of what, freedom, of what Christian education really strives to produce. He's a wonderful man, an excellent father, and a great teacher of the gospel. This is why I'm expecting to come out of the mouth of the former president. And he says, you're the reason we have the overpass on campus. <laughs> now, certainly he went on to elaborate on the things I just did as well. But we all want to leave behind a positive influence. We want to leave behind something for people to remember. And we're not going to be successful if we don't think about what we want to build even in the beginning. And I just want to give you two quick stories this morning and then give you two quick takeaways. The first story is found in 1 Kings chapter 12, really all the way through chapter 14. But if you want to pick up in chapter 12, the first story is about a man named Jeroboam. To summarize, Jeroboam is the first, one of the first kings of divided Israel. You might remember that Solomon, due to his heart being turned away from God by his many wives, he is told that because of what you have done, because your heart has turned away from me, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. Not specifically from Solomon, 
but from his line. So now the kingdom is going to be divided. It's going to be, or rather here, the kingdom is going to be taken away from the family of Solomon. Now his son, named Rehoboam, is going to follow some really bad advice and he's going to decide that he needs to oppress the people of Israel. And when he does that, he is going to be told by a prophet of God that the kingdom is going to be ripped away from him. He's going to be told that he's going to continue to rule over two tribes of the kingdom while the other ten will be given to another ruler. And this other ruler is going to be Jeroboam. Jeroboam is entrusted by God with the rule over a majority of his people. Jeroboam is given a great position of responsibility and leadership. And Jeroboam is very concerned about leaving his mark behind. He wants to leave an influence. He wants to continue to have his influence. And he wants to promote it on into the future. And you can see what he's going to do in chapter 12 in order to continue to keep his influence. Let's start reading in verse 26. Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go to offer their sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord and to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me, and they will return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the the king took counsel, and he made two calves of gold, and he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt." Jeroboam is very concerned with his influence, with his lasting mark on the kingdom, but you can see what he does in his pursuit of leaving behind his mark. As you can read in chapter 14, when he is going to receive a prophecy from God against himself, in the name of promoting his own influence, in the name of promoting himself, Jeroboam casts God behind his back. You might say, well, what a terrible thing to do. Jeroboam, how could you, with this great position of leadership, how could you turn when God gave it to you in the first place? How could you turn your back on God and be so selfish and promote your own lasting influence rather than God's lasting influence? Then we might also turn and say, well, at least it was just one king, right? At least it was only Jeroboam who turned away from God. Maybe the next kings could pick up the slack. In the prophecy that's going to be made against Jeroboam, he's going to be told this in verses, chapter 14, verses 9 and verse 16. You have done evil above all who have come before you, and you have gone and made for yourself other gods and metal images, provoking me to anger, and you have cast me behind your back. I will give up Israel because of your sins, which you sinned and made up Israel to sin. Not too long after that, the life of Jeroboam and his reign was over. But the rest of the time in the Bible that this name Jeroboam is mentioned, for half of the time this name occurs in Scripture is not directly in the narrative about him, but it's the writer of Kings reminding you, don't forget about the influence of Jeroboam. Don't forget what the prophet said to him. Because of your sin, I'm going to cast Israel out. Because of what you have done, the sin that you have done is going to lead to Israel's destruction for the next 200 years. And if you want to read through 1 and 2 Kings, you have these kings mentioned. You have 16 of them that I can mention by name, but for the sake of time and pronunciation, I will not. 
mainly for the sake of time. You have 16 kings. Over the course of 200 years, the writer will remind you, this particular king reigned in Israel for this number of years. And in every last case, there's two or three with the exception here, but in every last one of these other cases with these 16 kings, it is mentioned, this person reigned for this many years and walked in the way of Jeroboam and all of his sin. The writer will not let you forget about what Jeroboam has done. And at the end of the nation of Israel, at the end of this northern kingdom, in chapter 17, the final king who is going to ultimately, his actions are directly going to lead to the fall of this northern kingdom. And you might expect this king really messed it up for everybody. They, we kept this thing moving for years and years and years, and finally we get to this last king. He's the one that gets all the blame for the northern kingdom falling to Assyria. Let's see what the writer of 2 Kings says in chapter 17, verse 22. The people of Israel walked in all the sin that Jeroboam did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight. And he had spoken by all of his serv- as he had spoken by all of his servants, the prophets. So Israel was exiled from their own land to Assyria until this day. You see, one of the great consequences of this influence that we leave behind is sometimes our mistakes do not die with us. It would be foolish to assume that our actions have consequences only for us and for those who are immediately affected by what we are doing. And to assume that those consequences will not either be suffered or that those actions themselves will not be remembered for years to come by those who have been influenced by us and in turn on their influence, their influence on others. Our influence, whether good or bad, and in the case of Jeroboam, you can obviously see what happens when we decide to cast God behind our back with this influence that we've been given, with this ability to reach others that God has given to us and that He has called us to use to make disciples of all nations. You see, we can't really escape the whole business of legacy building. None of us can really escape this idea of leaving behind some sort of mark on the world because whether you try to ignore it or whether you thrive in that sort of scenario and you try to make the best of it, all of it, all of us, are leaving some type of mark behind. And I wonder how many times, especially maybe in our younger years of life, we use our excuse to do the things that we know we should not do or to do the things that are wrong. Our excuse so many times is, well, the people before me did it. And I know so many times in the locker rooms in high school, particularly, or with some of the problems that we have on campus uh, with some of our social clubs, a lot of these things are built off of, this is the example that the people before me left, and if they could do it, certainly I should be able to do it. Folks, may we never be the excuse that somebody gives to do the wrong thing. May we always be mindful of the influence that we are leaving behind, and may we never leave a type of example to where the people who come after us say, well, we can do such and such wrong thing because this person who went before me, they did it, and they were a decent person. Now, you might think, hey, I'm not a king. This is well and good, and yeah, I need to be careful about my influence, and I don't need to turn my back on God because that can lead to a lot of negative things down the line. But hey, 
I don't have that much influence. Well, you do have some, at least, and this is going to take us to Jeremiah 35, and the story of a man named Jonadab. Now, these are two characters in Scripture that don't get a whole lot of, of press, but they're two of the most important for our discussion this morning. Jeremiah chapter 35, you have a man named Jonadab. He's not a king. You might say, I'm not a king. Jonadab's not a king either. In fact, he's only mentioned twice in Scripture. Not a very prominent character, not a very prominent historical figure in the Bible. The first time he's mentioned is in his story to bring one of the king's aid. He just comes to the aid of one of the kings, and that's really all that you get about him until 200 years later. There's a group of people in Jeremiah 35 called the Rechabites. They trace their lineage back to this ancestor, Jonadab. And you see, Jonadab instilled a certain way of living in his children, in his descendants. And 200 years later, here's what his mark, here's what he has left behind, here's what it looks like. His descendants are called in to a feast by Jeremiah. I will remind you, by the way, Jeremiah is the prophet of God. Jeremiah is given the authority of God himself. So you would expect if Jeremiah asks you to do something, if he is given the authority of God, it's likened unto God himself asking you to do a certain thing. Jeremiah sits these men down and he asks them to eat and he asks them to drink wine, which you might not bat your eyes at, but these men did because their ancestor 200 years ago, Jonadab, instilled a certain way of living in his people that included abstinence from drinking wine. Here is a group of people 200 years after one of their forefathers in the presence of a man of God asking them to partake in this type of feast. They say, we cannot do this thing because of our ancestor, Jonadab. They didn't say, we can't do this thing because, well, for some reason, we've never done it before. They know exactly why. They know exactly where the mark has come from. And they tell the man of God, we can't do this thing and betray our ancestor, Jonadab. He wasn't a king, but his influence lasted throughout the years. Jeremiah does not discipline these Rechabites for refusing to drink the wine. And in fact, Jeremiah is going to reveal that this is what he had planned all along. And he's going to praise the Rechabites, and he's going to make the illustration of, we have this group, we have the nation, we have Jerusalem that will not obey God. And God, time and time again, will remind us of the things to do and how he says he sent the prophets one by one, constantly reminding us to follow him, And we can't do it, but here's this group of people who from one man 200 years ago still follow his influence. So we have two lessons, or we have two stories this morning, one from Jeroboam and one from Jonadab, two men who decided to leave their influence in very different ways. And that leaves us, I think, with two very quick takeaways. Why was Jonadab, why was his example so much better? Why did it produce such a more positive result than Jeroboam's? It's because of what we read a moment ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. If you want to leave behind a positive influence in your workplace or in your school, if you're worried about the name that you are going to leave behind, the best way for you to leave a positive name behind, to leave a positive mark behind, is to leave God's name, not yours. Leave God's mark behind, not yours. Paul said, as we read a moment ago, be imitators of me. 
That's not where he stops. You see, if Paul is worried like Jeroboam about just building little Pauls, if Paul is worried about having people follow his influence and remember how great he was, he would have said, imitate me. But you see, Paul's not concerned with leaving Paul's name behind. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. If you want to leave behind a positive influence on your family, or on whatever your circle of influence might be, don't worry about signing your name. Worry about leaving God's name behind. How awesome would it be, high schoolers, how awesome would it be if when you graduate, what your friends remember when they think of your name and somebody brings your name up at school, how great would it be if the first thing they thought of was God? How great would it be if the first thing they thought of was Jesus of Nazareth when they heard your name? How great would it be for when we pass on for our kids or for our grandkids or for our friends or whenever they're reminded of our name for them to remember the name of Jesus Himself. We should be concerned with leaving God's name behind, leaving God's mark, not just our own. And I would argue that that is why Jonadab's example is so much more positive than Jeroboam's. You can see what happens when we try to cast God behind our back in an effort to leave our own mark on things. But some good news and the final point that we'll have this morning. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. There's some very good news in all this, and a lot of this might sound gloom and doom, and a lot of this might sound like we have responsibility that's perhaps too heavy for us to bear. But I would encourage you to remember the example of Paul and to remember for our second lesson learned this morning that our negative influences can be reversed. Our negative influences can be reversed. How do I know that? Think about Paul. And he's going to have you think about his example in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17 specifically. Think about the type of mark that Paul was leaving on the world before his trip to Damascus. He was trying his best to leave a mark for God, right? And he's going to tell uh, the, the Jewish officials, hey, I've lived my life in good conscience towards God to this day. Well, how can you say that, Paul? You were persecuting Christians. Well, because at the time, Paul believed he was doing the right thing. The mark that he is trying to leave on the earth is a mark, he's trying to leave God's mark to begin with, but he's mistaken in the case of Christ. And he's having Christians dragged away and thrown in prison because of their faith. And the mark that Saul had left on the church at the beginning of Acts, you know what it says about him, Saul was ravaging the church. He was doing his best to destroy the church. And that's the type of mark that Paul, ultimately, if if Christ had not intervened on the road to Damascus, it's very likely that Paul, instead of earning that title of one of the greatest proponents for Christianity in history, would have earned the title of one of the greatest enemies of Christianity throughout history. But you see, Paul says, I was shown grace as the chief of sinners. I was shown grace so that the patience and the power of the grace of God could be illustrated through me. So what are you trying to say, Paul? Paul's trying to say that if I can receive grace, and if I can receive grace enough to be convicted and to change who I am, to change from this old man, to change from this old person of sin, and now to have a new life in Christ, to be a new creation in Christ, and to live in in a different way, a very distinct way, not just according to the rules, but according to the conviction of the grace of God, 
If Paul says, if I can be forgiven, if I can be changed, if God can be patient with me, who is there that he can't be patient with? So regardless of what type of example we think we're leaving today, whereas Satan would have all of us think, hey, look, you've already messed this thing up. There's no sense in trying to fix it now. You know, you got like five minutes left to finish working on this little block of wood that we talked a minute ago. You haven't made any progress. you got nothing to do. You might as well just sit there and take a nap. It's the very end. You have, you've only done negative things. That it's too late for you to try to build some type of positive influence now. Just don't worry about it. Let me ask you, what do you think, what type of influence do you think Paul would have left behind if he were to have passed just days after converting to Christ? Would the grace of Christ be any less powerful to save him or to change him? Absolutely not. You see, even if we are in a place where we feel that our influence is so negative, that it's going to be hard to overpower. And of course, sometimes consequences do take time to work through their full effect to bring healing. But just the example of being willing to be obedient to God, just the example of being convicted by that faith and of following how exactly the apostles teach us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to submit to the authority of Christ, ultimately to the authority of God, just the example of committing to change, Just that example of committing to, I know what I've done in the past is wrong, and I know I've been leaving this type of influence behind, but I want to commit to do something better. I want to commit not just to leaving my name here and to leaving my mark here. I want with every breath that I breathe, I want to say for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. I want to say that I have been crucified with Christ, and it's now, it's not even I who lives anymore, but it's Christ who lives in me, in this life that I do live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me, just as Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. You see, our negative influences can, in a way, certainly be reversed. While we can't a lot of times reverse the consequences right away, we can certainly reverse the type of name or the type of things that people will associate with us. In the end, even if we live a life of disobedience, even if we live a life of mistake-making, at the end, if we decide to turn that life to Christ, then ultimately the legacy we leave behind is one of, even though this person made a bunch of mistakes, even though this person did a lot of things wrong, in the end, they were humble enough to submit to the authority of God. I want to ask you this morning, I want to challenge you to consider what type of legacy you have been building. For our students, consider what type of name you're leaving behind at your school. And not just for you seniors that are about to be done, for the freshmen. This goes for college and high school. What kind of name is going to be left behind on your campus when you're done here? Let's take it a little bit broader. With our families, with our friends, with our circle of influence, what type of influence have we built today? What does that block look like today, where if we're gone tomorrow, we don't have any more time to build it and to shape it? What does it look like today? How would you like for it to change? What would you like for that block to look like? What would you like to leave behind when your time here is ultimately 
finished. How can we best leave behind the name of Christ instead of leaving our own name behind? How can we as a church leave behind the name of Christ and not just the name university? What can we do to work together to leave God's mark on this community instead of just our mark on this community? The great news today is that even if we're not happy with the way that block looks now, Paul, we can find forgiveness and we can find a real catalyst for change. I'm not talking about just trying to have a stronger willpower and say, this time I'm going to get it right. We can find the only catalyst for change that is strong enough to produce changed people. I love the way that C.S. Lewis words this. He says, Christianity does not produce nice people. Christianity produces new people. We don't just try to be nicer because somebody was nice to us. We are convicted and we become something new entirely. So I ask you today, what is it that you're going to leave behind? And if the stories of Jeroboam and Jonadab today have convicted you to be mindful of the influence that you're leaving behind and you want to make another commitment, you want to recommit, it's not easy to die to self and to allow Christ to live in you. It's certainly one thing for me to talk about it for a couple minutes and it's another thing to live it out. If you need help, if you need encouragement, why wouldn't you come this morning? Or perhaps you want to make that commitment initially this morning. You've been touched by the grace of God and you need to make that commitment to complete your salvation. And there's water here behind me. Then what, what good reason could you possibly have to avoid it this morning? If you need anything, we hope you'll come now as we sing together.